If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn once again to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, you can uh, always look at it there in the insert in the bulletin. Uh, We only have two more weeks in this chapter. We've been several weeks uh, looking at Hebrews 11, thinking about these family portraits, uh, the great people of faith that lived in the Old Testament time. And like I said earlier today, we're going to look at Samson. Uh, This is a favorite of all kids, right, this story, Uh, because it's almost like Samson is God's incredible Hulk, Uh, and he gives him incredible strength so that he can crack skulls to the glory of God. Uh, But I want you to see today there's so much more to his story. There's something for all of us to learn. He's not just a skull cracker. In fact, when he was strong physically, he was weak spiritually, very weak, pathetically weak. But when he was weak physically, at the end of his life, he was strong spiritually. And that's what we want to look at today. So let me read once again these last verses just to remind us of what uh, the writer is is communicating. Uh, And what more shall I say? I, I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? Amen. There's more to Samson than just being God's incredible Hulk. In fact, when you go back in um, Judges, we read only part of his story, the, the end of his story this morning. But if you go back to chapter 16 on, you can see his whole story. And what we, what we learn from that is that Samson, though given great gifts by God, physical gifts, uh, you know, his spiritual gifts or his spiritual graces lagged a lot behind the physical gifts that God had given him. Uh, in fact, the things that Samson suffered in his life, and this is sometimes true of us, the things that Samson suffered were actually mostly his own fault. Uh, he suffered because of his own sin. Uh, For all of his giftedness, Samson could never get out of his own way. Uh, Really, kind of a train wreck. You you have to go read it for yourself. I'll summarize a little bit of it as the sermon goes on. But he was an absolute train wreck, always getting in his own way, always sinning and endangering Israel. And he ends up humiliating himself. And yet, I want you to see this. Through that process of physical weakening because of his spiritual weakness... God made him spiritually strong. There's a lesson for us to learn. And it's, it's actually kind of a shocking lesson. If I, you know, and I'm going to have to, I think, convince you of this lesson. And it's this. 
God uses even our sins to glorify his name and to do us good. Did you hear me? God uses even our sins, or he's he's able to do this, to use even our sins to glorify his name and to do his people good. Samson teaches us that. You say, well, how, what in the world? How could God use sin? Well, let's look first of all today. We're going we're gonna to think about sin a lot today and just what it is and how God uses it. If you look at your bulletin, we're going to answer three questions that will hopefully convince you of this and comfort you and encourage you not to continue sinning, but to comfort and encourage you that even your sins can't undo the invincible plan of God in the world and in your life. Here it is. First of all, we're going to see why sin's a big deal. This is not a sermon about you should sin because God uses sin. No. Samson tells you, oh my goodness, how ruinous sin is in, the, in your life. It will wreck you. And, and we can see it. We're going to look at it in just a second. Secondly, we're going to see how God actually uses sin in a positive way. In several positive ways, in fact. And then lastly, we're going to see how God takes sin away. All right, uh, how, why it's a big deal, how it's used, and how it's taken away. Very important. Let's look first at why sin is a big deal. Uh, Samson shows us better than anybody else how sin can ruin your life. Uh, Samson's sin came in the context of great blessing from God. Samson had such a promising start. He, you know, God poured out, showered even, gifts on Samson from the time even before he was born. Uh, God came to his parents, Manoah and Manoah's wife, who's unnamed. And she's not only unnamed, but she's also one of the many barren women in the Bible that God uses to accomplish great purposes. And God comes to them in the form of the angel of the Lord and tells them, you're going to have a son. And that son is going to be my special deliverer. He's going to be what's called a Nazarite from the womb. And all the days of his life, he's got to be a Nazarite. Uh, you may have never heard what this is, this Nazarite thing. It's an unusual thing in the Bible. But it's basically a spiritual Navy SEAL. That's what a Nazarite was. And, you know, God gave provision that if somebody really wanted to, to double down for the Lord in their life, they could take what was called a Nazarite vow. And typically you only took that vow for a short period of time. During that short time, you didn't, ever, you didn't cut your hair. You had to let it grow long. Right uh, During that time, you couldn't shave your beard. You had to let it go shaggy. Uh, you couldn't eat certain foods or drink certain beverages. Uh, you had to deny yourself just common, ordinary joys of life. You, you were fasting, basically, for a short period of time to show you were willing to be God's Navy SEAL. You were willing to enter into Nazarite boot camp for a period. But here's the thing, and there's only two people in the Bible that this applies to, Samson and John the Baptist. They from the womb, God, God came to them and said, normally someone would come to God and say, I want to be a Nazarite for two months. But in the case of these two men, God came to their parents and said, I want them to be Nazarites for their entire lives. They were true Navy SEALs for God, or at least they were supposed to be. And yet with Samson, we learn this. God's gifts are very different than his grace. Do you hear me? God's gifts are a different thing than his grace. Somebody can have a ton of gifts and very little grace. This is what Paul's point is, in fact, in the New Testament, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, look, you speak in tongues, big deal. 
You prophesy, big deal. You have all these, this, all the knowledge and wisdom, big deal. Where's your love? That's, that's 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is the greatest thing of all. In other words, the graces of God, the, the true transformation of the heart that comes only by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus, that's a far better thing than simply having a gift to be able to perform a task for the Lord. It turns out God cares a whole lot about your character than he does about your usefulness for him. Let me say it a better way, maybe a way that kids can grasp it. God cares far more who you are in your life than what you do for him. Uh, when you're thinking about your life, kids, growing up, it's, you shouldn't just only think about what do I want to be, what job do I want to have. Here's something for you to think about. What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of man? What kind of woman? God cares about that. God's grace, the grace that comes through Jesus, his son. That's the only way that our character can be transformed. And God, it almost like puts up Samson as a portrait in the family of God to show, hey, his grace, his graces lagged behind his gifts. God showered him with opportunity. He showered him with potential. And yet he withheld the transformation of the heart until a long period of time in Samson's life so we could see there's a difference. You can't boast in the blessings you've received from God and assume from that that you're, you and God are tight. Right? Just because God's blessed you doesn't mean you and God are tight. Uh, that, that was not true of Samson and it might not be true of you. Just because you have bad situations in your life doesn't mean you're not tight with God. How do you know you're tight with God? He's transforming your character. He's making you into a different person. And Samson, for many years of his life, received the gifts of God and just misused them, actually abused them. Now think about that. When you give a gift to someone, how do you want them to respond? I mean, why do we give gifts to each other? Why do we spend the time and the money doing that? Because we want them to be grateful. We want them to enjoy it. We want them to know how much we love them. Think about how heartbreaking it would be. Just put yourself in this situation. You spent so much thought, so much time, put so much money in a gift for a special someone, only to later, after they received it, to overhear a conversation they had with someone making fun of the gift that you had given them. How much would that hurt? More than likely, that would hurt more than almost anything. A spit in the face. Ingratitude in the face of generosity is a terrible thing. And if you can get that feeling and get that, that bitterness that you might feel in your heart, you know how God feels about sin. Because that's what sin is. That's why sin is such a big deal. It's an abuse of his good gifts in a way that dishonors him and in a way that debases us. It dishonors God and it debases us. It, it drives us down into further and further levels of humiliation. Now, let me just give you a, a sense of some of the things Samson did to spit in the face of the giver of all good gifts. When he had grown old, he went to his parents and he demanded. He didn't ask, he demanded. Get for me this woman as my wife. And she was a Philistine. She was a worshiper of other gods. But Samson wouldn't take no for an answer. Get her for me, he said to his mom and dad. And of course they did it. At the wedding, Samson comes in and for some reason he decides to... To, to make a bet or, or a wager with the groomsmen at the wedding. 
And it was a massive bet. I mean, it was, it was equivalent of, of betting tens of thousands of dollars uh, for these Grimson to solve a riddle that he came up with. Well, they got really scared that they were going to lose the bet, and so they made his wife, you know, get the answer to the riddle out of Samson, and then they beat him, and he loses all this money. Uh, in fact, the, the father of the bride takes the bride away and gives the bride to the best man. All this starts to unravel for Samson. And then a year later, he shows back up at his former wife's house, or guess what, you know, his an old wife's house, and he demands that she be his wife again. They refuse, and so he burns their family's house to the ground. I mean, this, I mean, what in the world are we doing here, right? Just think about it. What in the world are we doing? God called this man to be a Nazarite. Why? So that he could bring deliverance to Israel. What did he do? He made Israel more obnoxious <laughs> to the Philistines. He brought dishonor on God. That's why at the end of his life, and I could list out other things that he did, I mean, Visiting prostitutes, falling in love with Delilah. I mean, we all know about that one, right? That was a bad deal. It ended up leading to his death ultimately. But at the end of his life, what did it say? It said the Philistines, because of Samson, that they celebrated that their gods, lowercase g, had conquered Israel's God, capital G. How dishonoring. Samson's eyes were poked out. He was chained to a prison. He was forced to grind, you know, grain because he was, he was blind and he was basically put in a chute where he just all day long walked around in circles grinding grain like a donkey. That's what sin will do to you. When we abuse the gifts of God, there, it's not as if it's consequence free. And the consequences are eternal, but they're not just eternal. They're also temporal. They're, they're, they're in this life. I mean, we will reap what we sow some way or the other, one way or the other. And Samson shows us that. Our view of sin is often way too pedestrian. <laughs> you know, we think, uh, you know, sin's like jaywalking and God caught me. Jaywalking is not really that big a deal, but he caught me and he gave me a fine and I got to pay the fine and, I, and I'll go to heaven if I pay the fine. It's like running a red light or something like that. But Samson shows us sin. If it's, a, if it's a spitting in the face of the giver of all good gifts, if it's ingratitude in the face of God's great generosity, it's so much worse than we could ever have imagined. It's so much worse. It doesn't just give us a fine to pay, but it corrupts the very heart of who we are. Samson was a man who received gifts from the Lord, and yet he did not have the character to use those gifts. And that is what sin does to every single one of us. It empties us of the character we need to take the gifts of God and to put them to use for his glory and the good of other people. And it instead turns them selfishly back on ourselves to use at our own whim like Samson did. Uh, for wine, women, and song. That was what Samson lived for. And he used his strength, but most of the time he used it for his own personal revenge, his personal vendettas. Instead of using it to fight for the people of God. Isn't that amazing? Sin's far worse. The Bible doesn't use this terminology, but we use this terminology to, to summarize what the Bible teaches about sin. Total depravity. Total depravity. Meaning sin totally corrupts your heart and my heart. You say, well, man, I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, total depravity doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. 
Trust me, you could be worse. We could all be worse. Uh, God is gracious in the way he restrains us from doing a lot of the things we would do if he didn't restrain us. And he's doing that with everybody all around the world, most people. There's, there are the rare few that go all the way with it, but most people are restrained by God. That's, that's a gracious thing, isn't it? And yet, total depravity, what it's teaching us, what the Bible says is that there's no part of you that is untouched by sin. No part. And that because no part of you is untouched by sin, you cannot use your sinful self to fix your sin problem. That's what it means. You're a completely wrecked and you can't fix it. Isn't that what the, the lesson of, Samuel, of Samson is? Samson could do nothing. I mean, God gave him all the opportunity in the world and yet he still couldn't even use that. He still couldn't even use that. And here we are. I mean, none of us were, I mean, our mothers weren't told, you know, hey, they're going to be Nazarites from the womb. There's only two people in history who've ever been told that. We haven't even been given that. How much more do you think we are capable, or incapable rather, of fixing our sin problem if Samson couldn't fix his? We can't do it. The gifts of God are different than his graces. Gifts empower us. Grace transforms us. Gifts relieve us and others. Grace redeems us and others. We need to see sin accurately so that we would see we need grace and not just gifts. We don't just need God to fix our physical problems, right? We need him to address the corruption that has touched every single part of our hearts. There's a, there's a psychiatrist, I don't believe he's a Christian, but he had a long practice of psychiatry, and famously, uh, about six or seven years ago, he came out with a book called What Ever Happened to Sin? And he was talking about his practice that most people didn't think in categories of sin anymore, and, he, and, he, and you know, he, he was puzzled by that, and he actually, even though he wasn't a Christian, he found the Christian, the Bible's teaching about sin to be very helpful in his psychiatric practice because it kept people from always, you know, shifting the blame. Uh, the Christian view of sin just lays it right on you. And you say, well, that's terrible. Yeah, it kind of is, you know, at first. But it's terrible, let me say that it's terrible in the best way. Because it, it, it helps us to finally be able to deal honestly. Uh, we're not simply victims of circumstances and of what other people have done to us. You can't reduce everything down to that. It's a factor. People are victims. So it's a factor. But you can't reduce everything down to that. At the end of the day, we got to have the Bible's teaching of sin. Whatever happened to sin, he says. He says this world's too bad to not have a concept of sin. There's too much violence. There's too much horror. There's too much abuse going on in our world to not have a, a realistic, accurate understanding of the corruption of the human heart. That's a non-Christian saying that. And how sad is it when we as a church try to mute the Bible on the topic of sin. Give them the positive, we say. Don't give them all that negative stuff. They won't come back. I want to tell you, you need the negative stuff. You need to hear it this morning. I need to hear it this morning. I'm a sinner. My heart is restlessly corrupt apart from Jesus. Gifts don't mean nothing. Grace is what transforms. Amen? That's the first thing. Why is sin such a big deal? Samson is exhibit A. He ruined his life and wrecked his life. But secondly, this is where we get to the good news. God can use sin. 
And in Samson's case, God does use sin. And I think he uses it in two ways, okay? Let me, let me just outline these two ways to you. First of all, God uses sin. And, and a good picture to get in your mind is a man with a dog on a leash. Think about it that way. God uses sin by leashing it in order to uh, have it play a part in the outworking of his plan. God uses sin by restraining it or leashing it so as to help carry on his plan in some mysterious way. And we see that at work in Samson's life. Uh, Samson was a man who, I mean, if you read his story, you think, why in the world did God choose Samson? Well, why would God use that man to ultimately deliver Israel? Even though he, he took a long and winding path to get there, he did deliver Israel from the Philistines, right? Why did God use him to do it? I think to show God can use anything. And there's nothing in the world that could ever overcome the plan of God. Isaiah the prophet said it this way, I am the Lord, no one can thwart my will. No one can thwart my will. You understand what that means? No, nobody can send it off on careening on a course that I didn't already set for it. This is the way God manages the world. God has a plan and God steadily works that plan out. All the evil in the world as mysterious as this is, all the evil in the world can't stop that. In fact, far from stopping it, God is actually somehow using it, weaving it into his plan to make sure that his plan gets, gets done. It's a little bit like this. The, uh, a famous story is often told about Abraham Lincoln during uh, the Civil War, that one of his military officials came to him and, and was complaining about General Grant, Ulysses S. Grant, who became a president. Because General Grant had a notorious problem with alcohol. He was, a, he was a drunk, basically. I don't know if you knew that, but especially during the war, he drank all the time. And during one of the battles of the Civil War, he was completely drunk during the battle. And, and this other uh, official came to Lincoln and said, you've got to fire Grant. He was drunk during the battle. And he said Lincoln got very quiet and just sat there for a while and he said to the, the commander, I cannot let Grant go. He's got a lot of problems, but he fights. He fights. I think there's something here related to Samson. It tells us in the story of Judges that all the officials of Israel, when Samson started to fight the Philistines, they said, Samson, what are you doing? Stop doing that. The Philistines are too big for us. Just, just make peace with those folks. And it's almost like God was, was showing, even though Samson was a man at first without any character, yet God was able to use that man because at least he knew the Philistines were for fighting. <laughs> right? The Philistines were not for making peace with. The Philistines were for fighting. It was, it was Ulysses S. Grant. At least he knew who the enemy was and he knew how to fight. He knew how to, he knew how to rally people together and get them going in the right direction. I cannot spare that man, Lincoln said. And perhaps in some way God says that about Samson and about many other things that happen in this world. Why, God, do you let it happen? I can't spare it because it's a part of my plan. Perhaps that wicked person who's, who's God is letting the leash out he never lets anybody off the leash, by the way. <laughs> there is no evil in this world outside of God's jurisdiction. But sometimes he allows the evil to go a little bit further out on the leash. Why does he do it? To accomplish some great purpose that he has in the world. 
But there's another way and a, and a better, maybe sweeter way that God uses sin in our lives, and that's the more personal way. Uh, I, I want you to get a picture of an alarm that wakes you up in the morning. Because God not only, not only uses sin like a dog on a leash, he uses it like an alarm to wake his people up. Think about that. We often ask, you know, why would God let his people continue to be tempted with sin? Why would he let us continue to want to sin sometimes? Why would he let us suffer in a world of sin? And why would he let Christians, sometimes Christians, commit awful sins, right? Awful. And it, it tears everything up when they do, when we do. Why would he do that? In some way, those points of our lives where we fail the most become the loudest soundings of God's alarm in our heart to wake us up to how great he is and how much we need him. Sometimes we would never see it otherwise. It's like the quotation that I read at the beginning of his service. As long as Samson was strong physically, he was weak spiritually, and he probably wouldn't have ever seen his spiritual weakness because he was like the Incredible Hulk, smashing everything in his path. Nothing nothing hindered him. God had to, through his sin, bring him down to a very, very low point. So that at that low point, it's just like the stars don't shine till it's the dead of night, right? When you go to the jewelry store and you want to see the diamond, they put it on a black cloth, jet black, right? When you want to see how tall the mountain is, you got to get way down in the valley, <laughs> And God uses the sin of Samson to work him down into that deep, dark valley as he's sitting there in the hall of the Philistines and they're making fun of him and jeering him and using him for entertainment. God uses that to finally get Samson to do something he had never done, at least in the recorded parts of the Bible. He calls out to God for mercy. That's not something Samson did. The only other time we see Samson talking to God before that is Samson saying, are you going to, I just fought for you, God, and are you going to actually kill me from thirst? Give me some water. That was what Samson said to God the other time that we see him pray. That was when he was strong. Do you see what I mean? He was strong and yet revealed to be weak, but when he became weak through his own sin, he was revealed to be stronger than ever because he was able to say, Oh, God, show mercy. Lord, let me one last time. Do, give me one last chance to do what you gave me all these gifts for. And if you'll give me that one last chance, by your mercy and by your grace, I'll take it no matter what. I'll take it no matter what it costs me. What a reversal, right? A man who only lived for himself because he had the hard experience of knowing the bitterness of sin and where it leads. Found himself caring about the glory of God, finally. Do you see God using that in your life? Have you ever seen God using your sin that way? Have you? I hope you have. I hope you don't just see sin as just merely a, you know, a violation like jaywalking or whatnot, but I also hope you don't see it as, man, I have sinned so much, I can never be worthy of God. God can never use me. God must have abandoned me. Surely God will abandon me next time I do it because that would be the 10 millionth time I've done that thing. Surely God will be done with me then. I want you to see that's not the way God operates in the lives of his people. God chose Samson, all of his flaws included. And God was determined 
to get Samson to a place of grace. He was determined to get Samson to a place of an intimate relationship with him where he actually cared about his glory. He, he did whatever it took to get him there, but he was determined to do it, and he did it. And God is using even the darkest times of your life. Don't you know that God does not just love you on your best days? Don't you know God is working in your life not just on your best days when you're doing everything right? It might just be that the worst days in your past, or maybe even the worst days in your current present, are actually the place where God is wanting to work the most in your life right now. And that's why it's a problem when we turn our, a blind eye to our own sin. We don't, we don't actually ask ourselves the hard questions about what's going on in our own hearts and about ways that we are falling short of the glory of God. You say, why would I want to spend my life groveling in that? Listen, it's not about groveling. It's not about groveling. What is it about? It's about being able to receive the grace of God. And Samson's a reminder that you can't receive the grace of God unless you understand the weakness and the misery that your own sin causes. For you, for others, the dishonor that it brings to the Lord. It's easy for us when we look at a world of evil to ask, how in the world could God allow it to happen? How in the world could God ever use that in my life? It's easy for us to ask that. Well, I think we should still ask that question, but from a different heart. Instead of saying, how could he do that in a judging way, you know, as if we are judging God, we should say, how could he in a marveling way? <laughs> how in the world could God have used that that I did? I did a terrible thing. How could God have used that? Oh, Lord, how great you are <laughs> that you've used even my failures to bring me back to you. It's kind of like the, the words of that, I think it's a country song, you know, God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. It's supposed to be a love song, right? It is a love song, but you could say the same thing about the way God deals with us, his people, in the covenant of grace. He blesses the broken road, and he causes even the potholes along the way to lead straight to him. It's great news, I think. Thirdly, this is even better news. How does God take sin away? Because you see, it's not enough if God just simply uses our sin to make us feel more humble. God's got to actually do something to remove the offense. Sin carries a guilt with it. Uh, sin, like we said, carries a corruption with it that we, can't, we cannot erase with our own erasers. We, we don't have paint wide enough to erase the stains off of our heart internally, right? God's got to do something to remove it. Uh, we know this even in our personal relationships. Have you ever, how annoying is it when you go to your spouse or, or somebody else and you're trying to point out to them something they did to you that hurt you? And immediately they say, but what about this that I did? What about that? What about this? And they start listing all the good things they did. Doesn't that annoy you? Um, but yet, don't you also kind of do that too? Like, don't you also, isn't that, at least if you don't do it out loud, every fiber of your being wants to do that. When we're confronted with something bad we, we do, we always, in our minds, I mean, knee-jerk reaction, we go to all the good things that could kind of balance it out. But yet, when someone does that to us, we know that doesn't work. 
Because, yeah, you may have done good thing A, B, C, D, and great. I'm glad you did those. But I'm here to talk to you about X that you, did, you didn't do. <laughs> and you've got to do something. I've got to do something to remove the offense of X. And it can't be removed by bringing in A, B, C, D, E. Even you've got all the way A through Y. It can't remove it. And so here, God at the end of Samson's life reveals his method for removing sin. He reveals it in a brilliant way. Samson, uh, we read it in, in Judges, uh, is brought into the great hall, and this is adding insult to injury. They've poked out his eyes. They've made him a slave. And here they're calling him in during a drunken party to basically tell him to rip phone books for them. You know, the power team, if you remember them. They used to come to schools. They used to come to schools and rip stuff. And that's, like, that's basically what they did. Samson, come do a power team show for us. And here's this blind man. He's got to have somebody lead him. He's standing against a pillar because he doesn't know where he's at. And he's just ripping stuff up. And everybody's yeah, and laughing at him, jeering at him. And yet, what does God do? God uses that weak moment to finally build in Samson something that was opposite of his sin. He finally is building in Samson some character through that dark, weak, even death. I mean, Samson dies in this scene. When he stretches out his arms and pushes the pillar and everything falls on him, he dies. It was through his death, it was through his weakness that Samson got spiritual life and spiritual strength. And not only Samson, but notice, the whole nation of Israel finally benefited from Samson's strength. Finally. Before, it was just like he was making them more obnoxious because he was going around doing his own thing. But finally, he's doing something for God's glory. And finally, all the leaders of the Philistines are destroyed, which is what needed to happen in order for the people of Israel to have peace. And he did it. I want you to hear. Don't, do you hear any echoes of the work of Jesus in what I just told you about Samson? Any echoes at all? I think there's an echo in both directions, both in what Jesus did for us and what we, how we could respond to Jesus. First of all, in what he did for us, was not Jesus willingly brought, I mean willingly brought into a place of utter weakness before the powers that be in the world? Wasn't he mocked and jeered and beaten and they put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns and hit him upside the head and mocked him as a prophet, mocked him as a king? They beat him within an inch of his life and then they hung him up naked on a cross to hang there humiliation and yet what was Jesus doing like Samson he was stretching out his arms on the cross to knock down the pillars of sin death and hell to knock down the pillars of Satan and his kingdom of darkness that because of our sin has invaded the world isn't that amazing Samson reaches out and brings victory to Israel and Jesus in the same way in a greater way reaches out to bring victory to us. But it goes the other way too. Because in order to respond to a savior who does this. And dies for his people. You also have to die. That's what happened to Samson. In order for Samson to have a solution to his sin. For it to be removed. He had to give up his life. And there's no secret that Jesus tells us. If you want to live with me you got to die with me. If you want to save your life, you got to lose it. If you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross too. 
Doesn't he say that? On numerous occasions. Romans 6 summarizes it, where it says, if we die with him, we will live with him. If we die with him, we will live with him. So what does that look like? It looks like what it did with Samson. I mean, frankly, it's not much different than that. Finally, Samson was able to admit who he is. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. God, I don't deserve anything from you. I'm, I'm relying on your mercy to give me one more chance. It's not something I, I earned one bit, but I'm asking you for one more chance. And he called out on God, and he stepped out in faith. Depending that when God hears the cry of mercy, he responds with mercy. <laughs> Every single time. Those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Samson put his eggs in that basket. And that's what it looks like to die with Christ. To say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. I, I am not going to be able to boast in my strength and abilities anymore. I'm not going to be able to take refuge in my giftedness. God must love me because he gave me a bonus this year. God must love me because my life is good and comfortable. That, you cannot take refuge in that. Samson's life was amazing for a while. He got everything he wanted. He was a spoiled brat. And he did not have grace until he was brought to a place of weakness. We can't take refuge anywhere else except in the outstretched arms of Christ. That's the only place. That's where Samson went. And as the walls came down on him, for the Philistines, it was the walls of wrath closing in, the judgment of God. But for Samson, it was the walls of liberty finally setting him free from what all his life long held him in slavery. Will you hear it this morning? Will you hear this good news of Jesus? Will you trust him? If you don't trust Jesus like this, you are still under the wrath of God. Philistine style. You are still under the wrath of God. Samson style before he was humbled. If you still think you're strong... You're too strong to need him. Right? We need to know our weakness, our foolishness, our sinfulness in order to reach out the hands of faith to the outstretched arms of the Savior. Let's do that this morning.